I'm going to do something kind of interesting today. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you the end of the story before we even go into it. Obviously, we're going to have to, to tell a little bit about how we got to the end. But if you were to turn to the second chapter of Matthew and look at the latter part of that, verses 19 through 23, you will see the end of the nativity story. Now, my guess is that many of you will listen to these words and you'll go, huh? How did, how did it end up that way? And we're going to explain that today. Our series is Hope in the World, and, and today we're going to be talking about being straight out of Egypt. Verse, 20, verse 19, <clears throat> after Herod died, <clears throat> an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take your child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went to live in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord God, speak to us through your holy word, and may this witness to your word be a faithful one. In Jesus' name I pray. Thus ends the nativity story. Did you know that? Jesus is in Egypt and King Herod is dead. How in the world did we get there? Well, if you look at Matthew, you will see that the story in chapter 3 resumes 30 years later. There is uh, almost a 30-year period of time in Jesus' life that we do not know about by Matthew. He goes straight to being an adult. So it's probably important for us to see what Matthew has to say about the ending of the nativity story before we can move into the adult years of Jesus. Now, obviously, the nativity story takes a turns in a downward position, downward um, direction, not a, not a good direction. And it all begins with wise men, so-called. This day in the Christian year is called Epiphany, and it is a uh, fancy definition of the manifestation of of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And what it basically is, is a, re a recognition that the wise men come and visit Jesus, uh, the baby Jesus, and offer, worship him and offer him gifts of gold, uh, incense, and myrrh. But before they even got to Jesus, they did something that makes me wonder if they really were wise. If they had known Herod, they would never have done what they did. They waltzed into Jerusalem and they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Now when you got a king like Herod, 
you don't say things like that. If they had known Herod, they would have known he was crazy. Well, judge for yourself. Let me say at least he had a propensity for killing people. When he took, when he took over the throne, which was primarily over the whole area of Jerusalem. Understand that he was a puppet king underneath the, the Roman government, but he had control of, of almost all of Israel, or, or actually a, a probably a little more than, than Israel as we know it. He, so the first thing he did was he went about annihilating the Sanhedrin, the main governing body of the church, killing them off. Or the, the, you know, the people, not just the church, but the people. Later, he thought it would be a good idea to kill 300 court officers, okay? Now, why would he do that? Well, anybody that was going to be a resistance to Herod or to threaten his throne in any way had to be eliminated. It gets worse. He had this wife by the name of Mariamne, killed her. Her mother didn't like it very much, so he killed her as well, Alexandra. Killed his wife, killed his mother-in-law, and his eldest son, Antipater, killed him. He might be a threat to the throne. And then he killed two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. Do you see what I mean by he had a propensity for eliminating those who might get in his way? <clears throat> Herod, before he died, was concerned that nobody would mourn his death. So he had this brainy idea to kill off a lot of the main citizens of the area so that people would be mourning when he died. That's the kind of individual we're working with. And you have these wise guys come into Jerusalem and they say, where is he who's born king of the Jews? What? Matthew says, Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now you know why all of Jerusalem is disturbed because the king is disturbed and they know what he's capable of doing. Herod calls the, the, the wise men secretly and discerns from them about their journey and when the star arose and, and uh, what they were doing and, and about this Messiah that was to be born. He also did his homework and, and, uh, and went to the, some of the scholars of, the, of his uh, court and found out that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem as the Old Testament prophesies. And so he sends the, the, the wise men off. We don't really know how many there are. We, we assume there are three because of the three gifts. But he sends them off to diligently search for the child. And when you have found the child, come back to me, Herod says, and tell me where he's at so that I might worship him too. How many in this room believe that Herod would want to worship that child? 
No, he wanted to kill the child. Well, that starts a chain reaction of things. The wise men find the child. And, and I want you to know that, that even with our nativity sets that we have out of Christmas time, how the three wise men are there with the shepherds, and all, it didn't happen that way. The, 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 the wise men came later. And we celebrate that as a, the Epiphany Day, uh, remembering that Mary and Joseph must have stayed down in the Jerusalem area, in the Bethlehem area, for 40 days. Now, the reason they did that is because they had to uh, go to the temple on the 40th day of the child's birth to have a purification rite done to offer a sacrifice. And so it would have been ridiculous for them to go back up to, to uh, Nazareth. You can see on the map up here, which will magically appear on the wall. There it is. I uh, see up by the Sea of Galilee, it says Nazareth. That's where they were from. They went down to, or see the Dead Sea, right over to uh, uh, near the Dead Sea is Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And so they would have been down there. They would have stayed down there, and it would have been down there that the, probably while they were still in Bethlehem, in a house. It says, uh, the, the text says that the wise men found Jesus in a house, Mary and Joseph in a house instead of in a, in a, main, uh, in a stable. Now, when this, uh, <clears throat> this happened, they worshiped the, the Christ child. They gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they were warned by an angel to not go back to Herod. And so they go home another way. End of story. Well, not really, because you've got to remember who Herod is. Herod realizes that he's been duped, that they're not coming back. So he proclaims... Uh, uh, an edict of something that's going to happen. Do you know what that was? Yeah, if you know, you don't want to say, do you? Herod orders the military to go to Bethlehem and kill all the boy babies in that area from two years old down. He's not going to take any chances. Okay. Now, interesting thing is history does not record this any place, uh, and that's not all that unusual because it's just a blip. See, Bethlehem was rather small, and so we're talking maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 50 babies. And even though as horrid and horrid an act as it was, at that time, with Herod and the throne, it was like nothing to the people. Now, fortunately, an angel visited Joseph in his sleep. Joseph, wake up. Take Mary and the baby and leave. Get out of here. Herod is after the child. And so we have Joseph and Mary fleeing from Herod. Now, where do they go? They go down around the Mediterranean to Egypt. Now, I think this is important. We need to pay attention to Egypt here. Egypt is closely connected to the story of the people of God and to the Bible. 
2000 BC, around 2000 BC, a man by the name of Abram, you know him as Abraham, was called by God, and you might want to look at this, it's on page 11 of the Bible. He was called by God to do something that I'm wondering if we would do if, if we got the same call. It starts with chapter 12 and verse 11. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. you get, did you catch that? Abram, leave everything you know. Leave your comfort zone. Leave every one, every, every, everything you know, your country, your people, your father's household, and go. Well, where am I going? I'll show you later. Do you see it? Now, as we read through 12, we will see that one place that he ended up going is Egypt. And that's quite a story in itself. But if you look over in, on, on page 14, there in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 13, we see this that uh, the Lord tells Abram. In chapter 15, verse 13, he says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Well, what's that about? Well, that's about the time that, that Jacob took his family down to Egypt, which would have been thousands of people at this point, and they were uh, fleeing a, uh, a drought, and the only salvation would be to go to, to, to Egypt, which God had already planned because of Joseph, who had been severely mistreated and sold into slavery by his own brothers, had now, by miraculous uh, work of God, become the second in command over Egypt. His name, obviously, is Joseph. And if you, if you look at the story of Joseph and think about Jesus Christ, you'll see many comparisons between the two, back and forth. But the people of God uh, ended up down in, in Egypt, and they were fine. They were living with Joseph, and uh, they, they lived a, a wonderful time. And then Joseph died and time went on, a new Pharaoh came and he did not know what Joseph had done for the country. And he had all these people who were living uh, as foreigners in Egypt and so he put them as slaves, put them to hard labor. That was their life for 400 years. And they kept, they kept having babies. And they, 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 they were so many of them that Pharaoh and some others are getting worried, thinking, you know, there's so many of them, they're, they're going to take over. If they revolt, they, they could take over. We've got to stop this. Interesting what Pharaoh does. Very similar to, to, to Herod. He orders that all the male children who are born to the Hebrews, to the, to the Jews, are taken away from them and thrown in the Nile River. Do you remember the story of Moses and how he was put in a, in a basket and put out on the Nile? And uh, he was found by the prince, princess and ended up growing up in the house of Pharaoh, became a very important person. 
until he, his anger caused him to, to commit murder and he fled for his life. He later came back, and this is around 1280 BC, and helped uh, to have his people leave Egypt, the people of God. And you know the story of that and the parting of the sea and all the, all the things that go along with that. But, you know, that, that, you know from, from uh, 1280 B.C. to 1240 B.C., they're wandering around in the wilderness, but they're out of Egypt. Now, an interesting thing is they are in slavery. They are crying out to God for help. And they um, then get the help from God. And they're out in the wilderness and they're wandering around in the wilderness and they, 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 in essence, are too afraid to go into the promised land, which causes a 40-year wandering in the wilderness. But during this time, they would come up to some hardship and then they would start whining to Moses. Why did you take us out of Egypt to die here in the desert? As if Egypt was fun for them. But you see, even though they were in slavery, it was a known entity. They knew what life was like. And they moved out of that into a life they didn't know, they were unsure about, and they didn't know what would, what would, what would become of them. Now, as we look at what Herod was doing, Mary and Joseph do what others have done. They went down to Egypt. Scholars disagree on this. My guess is that when you, when you look at uh, what happened in the history, when Herod died, when Jesus was born, it probably was about four months that they were down in Egypt. Now, what would life be like down there for, for Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus? Well, because... From time to time, people had to flee Israel. They would go down and, and seek refuge in Egypt to the point that in almost every city you could find Jews in Egypt. There was one city that was basically just Jews. So Mary and Joseph would have found like people down there in Egypt and would have been with them. And the word would have spread pretty quick when Herod died. Now, the, the area that Herod had uh, control of was about everything on that map. But he knew that the Roman government would not allow one of his sons to rule that large of an area. So before he died, he split up the area and basically said, okay, you take this, you take this, you take this. Can you imagine three sons actually survived Herod? And uh, they, they, they took over. And the one who took over the area of Jerusalem was Archelaus, who was just as bad as his dad. And Matthew, or, and Matthew tells us that Joseph actually feared for their life and to go back to the, the Jerusalem, Bethlehem area, so they went back up to Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grew up, was in Nazareth. And we assume several things about his life. We assume that he uh, grew up with... Um, Joseph as a, as a carpenter or someone, had, he was a, uh, one who probably died before Jesus went into ministry. 
Jesus would have been the oldest son of uh, brothers and sisters that came after him, and so he would have been sort of the man of the household until he turned 30, and then he started his ministry. But what we can guess is that he had, he had a, a pretty good uh, life uh, growing up. He was in an area that was actually right on a major thoroughfare that went right south to Egypt. And he would have seen caravans and people moving up and, 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 and down that road. And then there was an east, eastern road that also took a lot of people. He would see a lot of different people a lot of different uh, parts of the world and cultures coming through his area as he grew up. But what's important is that when we look at Abraham, when we look at Jacob, and when we look at Joseph, when we look at Moses, when we, when we look at Mary and Joseph, uh, Joseph and Jesus, they all went to Egypt, but they didn't stay there. It was, a, it was for a period of time in their life and then they were called to move on. Do you see it? And the call sometimes is like that call that Abraham received. Leave everything you know and go where I will show you. It's not clear, but go where I will show you. So I have a question for you. The question is this, as we begin this year, Ready for this? What is your Egypt? As you look at your life, what is your Egypt? It's different for each one of us. Each one of us has something in our life where we have been camped. But we know that's not where we are supposed to stay. We're supposed to move out. God is calling us to make a difference and move in our lives. It, 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 but it's comfortable here. We, we, know, we know our Egypt. We know it well. It, yeah, it's not perfect. But there's something in us that says, you know, we're not supposed to stay here. We need to make a change. We need to follow Jesus. Some of you know right now. It's amazing, you know, that I've talked with, with uh, three other groups now, Saturday night and the two services before this, and people come up to, came up to me and said, you know, I, I, I know what my Egypt is. One person came up and said, you know, my... I, I, God told me my Egypt was smoking and I need to quit smoking. Wow. What's your Egypt? You know, for me, I've, I find myself in Egypt way too often. And when you find yourself there, you need to pray, Lord, Help me leave this place. Guide my life that I might be able to, to do what you're calling me to do. And it's not easy. I, you know, folks, I, I know it's, it's not easy. It is, it is difficult 
to follow that trail that God puts in front of us. It's uphill. And the reality is that any time we move to the next level, it's always uphill. And it will be an unknown. It'll be uh, difficult. Sometimes we'll wish we were back in Egypt. But when we're following God, when we follow Jesus Christ, it's worth it. How about Christchurch? What is our Egypt as Christchurch? I'll tell you what it is. We like it here. And we have people join the church because they like it just as it is. Don't change a thing. But you know, that's not, that's not the call. That's not the call of the church of Jesus Christ to stay the same. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be like a plant or like a tree that continues to grow and change and, and thrive. If it stops growing, you know something is wrong. That's why, loved ones, the building that's being put up next door is so important. Now, the Egypt response will be, well, yeah, we're, we're doing that for us. So we will have more room for just us. Now, do you realize that building is being built for the people who are not here yet? That family life center is for people who don't know Jesus. That Family Life Center is for people who will be here long after we are gone. You see, the best way I know to leave Egypt is to follow Jesus as he moves us on. And as Jesus moves us on, it's really clear what he's doing. As it's, uh, it's as clear as John 10.10. 10, and, and that's sort of our, uh, a verse that, that is a theme verse for Christ Church. It's where Jesus says that he comes to give us abundant life so that we might live life to its fullest. And how do we do that? I think it just tied in with this idea that we, for him, that we're always willing to leave our comfort zone. That we're always willing to leave that which we know for the best that he has for us. And one of the best ways I know to do this is to hear the Great Commission. And his Great Commission, before he left his disciples and went into heaven, he told them to say, go, he said, go in all the world and make disciples. Now, 2019, we have one goal for this church. Do you know that? Church this size, we just have one goal. 
You know what that goal is? Well, I hope you do. Maybe you don't. Let me tell you what that goal is. That goal is to love God and love people enough that you want to get them together. It's called living out the Great Commission in light of the Great Commandment. Loving God and loving people enough that you get them together. That's, that's our goal. That's our call. And everything that we do, and we'll be, we'll be talking about that. We're, we're going to start a series called Game On. And we're going to be talking about how we're going to do that. But I just want you to leave understanding that the best way for us to leave Egypt is to love God and love people enough that we want to get them together. Amen? Now, you're going to hate this, but I'm going to ask you to go back to your Egypt. Your Egypt. I want you to, to leave this place asking yourself, Lord, what is my Egypt? And what do I need to do to leave it? That's important. It, it's, got to start, it's got to start with each one of us. And a good way to do that, a good way to begin this year is the, with the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. We're going to end with that. If you would turn to it, and it is in six, it's, yeah, this is called the hymnal. We don't ever use it at this service. <laughs> called the hymnal. If you turn to 607 in this uh, foreign book that I am holding in my hands, you'll see there a, a covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition. And if you are serious about wanting to come straight out of Egypt and follow Jesus Christ, this is how you start. And if, you're, if you have enough courage, if you have enough boldness to pray this prayer with me, I would invite you to pray this prayer. Let's pray. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Ring me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low by thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Amen.